Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Yep, welcome in Reno, Vegas, ESPN Vegas, ESPN Reno. The company today, Adam Hill, Willie Ramirez. I like that promo. I don't know if you guys are paying attention, you aren't, but a promo that uh, Ari made with Adam Hill and I speaking last week and literally everything Adam was saying 15 seconds later, I'd, I'd ask the same question. Like, I have nothing. Got nothing. Sounds like a couple got, of reporters in the VGA. Ooh. Is that right? Um, it got me thinking of Baker and some of his issues on All-American, Adam, which, by the way, You just dropped I got them into on, the comments in <laughs> I got on you early on about the quality of that show. Yeah. I was wrong. It's fantastic. It's it's really good, and I only watch it on American Time In. I only hold on a second. <laughs> I only get to watch it, and there are moments where it's tear-inducing. Sure. And I'm like looking around. I'm like I'm with a a basketball team and a bunch of other dudes, and I'm getting all misty here on the plane. I don't know if this can be my show anymore. I, I mean, obviously you're far behind where I am. I am way behind. I uh, am. I'm dealing right. I'm. I'm dealing right now with uh, Tamika Pratt. Okay. Yeah, you're yeah. way behind. Uh, yeah, I'm way behind. It's, it's, it's a it's a slow build. Yeah, but I mean, they do a good job of like keeping up to date on issues. Like this year. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. This entire year was a nil year. This entire season. Okay. I see it going in that direction. Yeah. There's which some early signs with the, the which the, season the, are we in five. I think five. Yeah. Maybe yeah. six. Uh, I could see it with that recruiter from TNT. I, I also love the schools they make up. Texas, <laughs> Texas Northern Tech. Just TNT. Well, here, here's, the, here's the funny thing is I'm the one that found that show. And then Adam. Wait a second. What? Adam. Yeah, he was on first. Yeah. Okay. I didn't but, know that. But then, but then. Finally, one of your recommendations is good. <laughs> Look, Cofield, don't make me put a pistol button on you. Ari. Listen. No, I was about to. See, I was about to give you props, too. I was Keep all going. in. I was I all in. I was all in on that show. Then it went off season, and you two got me in on what's the actor's name with the Eastbound and Down or whatever it's called. What's oh, you, you got into uh, Vice Principals and uh, um, Righteous Righteous Gemstones. Gemstones. And I got, sure. so now I like I got to go back and probably rewatch the last season that I watched because I remember one and two. I got to go back and get back onto my All American Groove. Here's the problem: I just started a new show. Oh boy. It's pretty funny. It's pretty good. It's called Ginny and Georgia. It's on Netflix. There's no way that's good. It's on Netflix. It's about a single mom. I'm out. With two kids. And the the stuff that she pulls, oh, man, it's great. Yeah. The the women uh, in and around my life are raving about it, Willie, so it's good to hear you like it. I'm out. Uh, Yeah, it wasn't. Good. By the way, good, good right, this is number four. We'll be skipping a three in a second. Uh, it was not. It was. It was not. <laughs> not good. Not good. Yeah, there was the uh, unfortunate times for uh, the running rebels on Saturday afternoon, and then I tiptoed into the house and Chargers were. Born injury lawyers presents the Big Four at four. Number four, right on to number three. Oh, we didn't. Yeah, we didn't even get to what I was watching. It's fine. Number three. Um, I heard a day and a half of Staley needs to be fired at home, but then she came to grips with the fact that Dean Spanos is the owner and <laughs> he ain't going to spend the money. That's not going to happen. But you know, I mentioned last hour. There seems to be this like unusual level of hatred for Brandon Staley. Um, I don't think Brandon Staley's an arrogant guy. I think he's done a solid job. He had some mistakes, although Adam just brought a whole new storyline in that maybe it wasn't him who decided to play all of the starters in the Week 18 game against the Broncos. But like, I don't think he's a jerk. I don't think he has gone out of his way to say I'm really smart. But there's a bunch of old folks and some are around my age and some are much older. Um, I see idiots calling Brandon Staley like boy blunder, <laughs> like with just, just infantile stuff from people with the you know, minuscule level of intelligence as compared to Staley. I see old coaches like Rex Ryan, who has been on this guy 
repeatedly. And he goes on with uh, the the uh, national morning show on ESPN and just starts laying into him. This guy thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. He ain't yeah. close. Like, he may be in a math quiz or something like that, but this is football. <laughs> this guy is so disrespectful to the game that the, the coaches that have coached. I'm going to go for it on fourth down. I'm the guy. I don't care what Bill Parcells did, Bill Walsh, Bill, Bill Belichick, and Bill Any anybody. Of the bills. Okay, did he ever say he did? Has he ever? Maybe I missed it. Had he, has he openly disrespected those bills that he mentioned? And by the way, Adam, I think you need to do this now. You don't have to reveal anything. But Adam has some good sources around the Buffalo organization. Sure. He had some good sources back in Rex's days. And when I saw that Brandon Staley is disrespecting the game, can we talk about Rex Ryan's work ethic on the bounce back after the Jets with the Bills and how lazy he was yeah. what and how that story ethic? really has never been spoken of, how disrespectful he was of another opportunity. And I don't want to get personal here, but I'll just mention um, Staley may be connected to some NFL people, but he's not a Ryan. And you know what being a Ryan allows you to do? Get a second job. Yeah. Get a second chance. And and give little effort and and disrespect the game by not by not trying and not not putting your all into a job. So that's a preposterous notion. By the way, he what where is this are these people not watching games? This is not Brandon Staley of 2022. It didn't happen this year. Brandon Staley let a lot of people down, myself, and a lot of other people that believe in math. This year, he did not coach the way that this guy is saying he coached. That was the problem. I maintain they would have won if Brandon Staley 2022 was coaching, excuse me, 2021 was mm -hmm. coaching the team in 2022. They would have won that game on Saturday. He's been reckless ever since he took the job. Now he's reckless with his players. Health, a guy that's had a broken neck, by the way, Mike Williams. I don't think he respects the game because how do you not, like, he needs to grow from it. He needs to grow from not being, you know, I'm smarter than anybody else in the room. <laughs> I feel like I missed some interviews along the way where Staley's like, I'm the smartest. Has he done that? No, but he... he by the way, he was. He was last year. <laughs> New age analytics and, you know, and being more aggressive on uh, third and, and fourth and short is actually the safe route. The reckless is. thing is punting, is playing for punts. Of course it is. And playing for field goals. It's more dangerous because you, you give your team a less chance to win, so it's reckless. You heard of one person's trash is another man's treasure. One person's reckless is another man's aggressiveness. It's way too deep. No. Cut and dry. This is what happens when you hire guys that have limited experience. What, what he coached for four years or something, and he gets a job. You know, we look at our own Jeff Satter. He had no experience. He may be a good coach 10 years from now. Experienced coaches ain't going to lose these games, I can assure you. And don't have a ton of experience doing really well. And again, I just don't think that Nepo guys should be speaking on how we hire people and who should be hired. Come on. Yeah. Uh, look, it's. That's what this right. is. Right. Anything new scares me. Yeah. Anything that's non-traditional scares me. Well, well that's you, a you problem. Right. Well, that opens the door for a lot more people to have jobs. And not just your tight knit boys club getting yep. every single job. That's what's scary. So where'd your dad up. work, son? Yeah. Where were his football jobs at? Oh, okay. All right. Well, then you're good. How old are you? Twenty four. Yep. You're in for life. Good to go. It's absolutely wild the the protection that goes on. And by the way, why when people say there's not an issue with hiring, this is absolutely the case of there is. Number two. I also love bringing up Bill Belichick, who has gone hyper-aggressive on fourth downs at times. He has been that guy in the past. He's one of the uh, innovators. Remember the Colts uh, he, game? Yes. Yes. Yeah. We're inside our own 30. My defense stinks. Guess what? We're going forward on fourth down inside my own 30. Don't care. Disrespectful to the game. So ridiculous. What a weekend on social media, guys, especially the reaction yesterday to Brett Maher did – 
Webster is an awesome. It's an awesome Twitter account for those that don't follow it. You probably should. Why are you? Why are you following that? Why wouldn't you? They're awesome. Well, you're a writer. You're a writer. Willie, do you follow it? Nope. Well, but they also they like to jump in on anytime there's like a, a relevant trending topic on Twitter. They'll the definition of a word, like a tweet yep. that shows the definition of a word. So last night, as Maher was struggling with his extra points, uh, they just decided out of nowhere. To share the definition of the word yips. No relation to anything else. Just, hey, here's what yips Here's what yips means. And uh, you can take it for what it's worth. So completely just trolling Maher and the, and the Cowboys uh, with their struggles. It's a noun, a state of nervous tension affecting an athlete in the performance of a crucial action. Yips. The big question is, Adam... Next time you're filling in for Ben Goat, or next time you're covering a running Rebel game, or next year with the Raiders, will you use it in your article? No, not necessarily. Not well, unless somebody has the yips. Well, well, obviously. <laughs> I mean, you're not just going to use it to use it. That's it's, what I'm saying. If, it's very rare. I mean, d- did Derek Carr in one of the last two games or in Pittsburgh have the yips? No, I think he just he had the Derek Carr. <laughs> he had the cars. <laughs> Did you guys watch the reaction on the uh, the Manning cast? And then also we've got tied into the back end of this is Jerry Jones being asked about Brett Maher and if he needs to be replaced. Oh, my God. You've got to be kidding me. I've never seen anything like it. Why are we kicking on? it? Why are we kicking it? What is going on? <laughs> he can't believe it. Talk about a buzzkill. No one's ever missed three field, three extra points in a row. You That's got a guy at halftime of a playoff game. It's got to be a record. Will you look at some kickers no. this week? No. We won't. We just... uh, uh, Good ones. Well said, Jarrah. Top story. Number one. All right, examining Raiders quarterback candidates. We talked Tom Brady in the first hour. How bad is this, Adam, with Lamar Jackson and the Ravens? It seems like it's gotten pretty bad. And, you know, obviously we heard some comments coming out of the team last week. We heard Lamar uh, state his case. Uh, now Lamar is throwing out some very, very uh, pointed, although not direct. He's giving like essentially relationship advice oh. on on his Instagram, which is very clearly mm. uh, a commentary on the on the Ravens' treatment of him. Um, it seems like it's headed in a, in a bad direction, and I, I'm very, very intrigued by what happens in this offseason. My guess is that they give him a not exclusive. Uh, tag, which would be wild, which means any team can sign him and they would just have to give up two first round picks for him. And I think that's what the Ravens are going to do. Raiders, right, Willie? Get involved here. Let's go. I'm all in on that one. Yeah. I've been, this is this one guy I've been clamoring for. I'm, I'm all in to bring Lamar Jackson to Las Vegas. The only, I, I would be yes. The only thing is, I don't know how the McDaniel system and Lamar Jackson play into each other. Yeah, that would be tough, but it would be a good get. Adjust. Yep. Adjust. If you I get heard. a chance to get a franchise doesn't want to go through, which is have a 46-year-old bridge to a guy. This guy's ready now. If that's what the cost is, get involved. Get involved now. Coming up next, Miles Simmons, Pro Football Talk. He'll get in on the Lamar Jackson talk. Wake up and take a seat in the press box with Graney and Bischoff. Weekday mornings from 7 to 10. I absolutely think it's wrong, all right? Because number one, it's been built around him. We know how much he means to what this team has had from a level of success. That, Like, all we judging you off of is all we have. All we have with Lamar Jackson is going to the playoffs, league MVP, and literally being the responsible party for why your team has had a, a, such a tremendous amount of success. NFL insider Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk joins us now. Former NFL player uh, working with ESPN, Marcus Spears on the way back. Lamar Jackson going to be a real hot topic in the offseason for as long as this contract status lasts. Adam Hill, Willie in our Finley Toyota studios, Ari's there as well. Miles Simmons, our PFT National Football Insider is up. Miles, how you doing, buddy? I am doing very well, Steve. How are you? I'm good. I'm fired up. Uh, lots of exciting options to talk about for the Raiders at quarterback. We uh, we discussed TB12 earlier. Just minutes ago, we were getting into 
the fact that the Raiders can and probably should trade for Lamar Jackson. It is over in Baltimore. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know if it's over, over, but yeah, it, it certainly does seem to be trending in a way that doesn't make me feel like that's out of the question, which is like really me like um, soft footing around the topic. But here's the thing with Lamar right now. I mean, I think all indications are that the Ravens really, really want to keep him and would prefer to keep him. But with what Lamar Jackson's contract demands appear to be, that probably is not something that Baltimore is actively going to accept. So I think that what's going to end up happening is they're probably going to put the non-exclusive franchise tag on him, which means that he can go out and try to find somebody who will sign him to an offer sheet that the Ravens will either have the chance to match or would get two first round picks or some other form of compensation that the two teams agree to if Lamar Jackson then would be with the new team. And, and certainly that could be the Raiders. I think it's more realistic, which sort of is weird to say, that Tom Brady would be the team's quarterback in 2023, the Lamar Jackson, though. So you clearly were listening to the show when I said the exact same thing as, as what the Ravens were going to well, do. I'm uh, not surprised that I uh, agreed with the 2022 Nevada yes. Sports Writer of the Year, Adam Hill, Shut which up. you know I'm being joking about. But, of course. And I know that Adam hates this, but I, I do want to. I'll move on. I feel like because one of the because we're, we're talking about that as a way to get, you know, to, to get the potentially two picks if somebody does sign them to put that tag on them. But it also and you mentioned it there. It's also a way to just see like, all right, look. You think you're worth a certain amount on the open market. We've been negotiating. Let's see what you actually get. And then then we have a firm decision to make on if we're going to sign that or not. And then the Ravens are able to set a market without directly negotiating with Lamar. Yes, and honestly, I think it might be better for the Ravens in that way because, look, Lamar Jackson, at least right now, represents himself. And that lends itself to some tough conversations between player when you're not dealing with an agent and frankly i also think it's pretty darn difficult for a quarterback to then just go out and market himself on the open market like that that that's not something that's easy where it's like okay i want this how do i line these meetings up how do we huh. market myself in the best way it's just a tough thing that i think it the situation behooves having an experienced agent to handle those things. And I understand why you wouldn't necessarily want one. You know, you don't want to pay the 3%, whatever it is. But I just, I think that, yeah, if you go out there and, you know, you, you basically, the Ravens can say, all right, Lamar Jackson, you think you're worth X. Well, go see if somebody will give that to you and maybe we'll match it and maybe we won't. That does help the Ravens in terms of that negotiating. Uh, Tom Brady last night walks off the field, tips the cap, thanks the media and his presser. He's. I mean, he wanted to be done in Tampa last year. <laughs> yeah, and if not for the Brian Flores lawsuit, he would have been done in Tampa. He was retiring from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was not retiring from football. And I don't think that he's ready to retire from football right now. I, I mean, the Buccaneers' biggest problem was they couldn't run the football. You know, Tom Brady is 45 years old. That man should not be setting a league record for completions. He should not be throwing 66 times in a game, right, in a playoff <laughs> game like he was last night. So if, in theory, uh, the Raiders bring back Josh Jacobs and they can run the football and then they sign Tom Brady and he's going to be playing in an offense that he knows like the back of his hand and he knows you know, what Josh McDaniels wants to Daniels himself, why would this not be a for him in Las Vegas, I have no idea. Speaking with our insider from Pro Football Talk, Miles Simmons. Miles, um, a lot of talk about the different quarterbacks, but what about the one that uh, served up a sermon three times this past weekend and, and got a bunch of tithing for his church? Uh, where is Derek Carr headed? Um, if I were the Washington Commanders, I would hire Greg Olson as offensive coordinator and I would bring in Derek Carr as my quarterback. And I think it's that simple, you know, and I understand that they have Jack Del Rio and maybe I, Derek Carr didn't want to play for dust up at the Capitol. Maybe he does. Um, but I, I just, <laughs> I think that where they are right now as a team, that would make a lot of sense. And, you know, people have brought up the Jets. 
I don't know if that's a good for him Mm -hmm. and Derek Carr, just for uh, several different reasons. Um, Seattle could also be a team that sure how much better he would be than Geno Smith. Um, but I, I just, I feel like the commanders make a sense and I think he would fit there and I think he would fit that team. What if this is completely hypothetical miles? Okay. What if Greg Olson still blames Derek Carr for getting everyone fired by spiking the we should not have in the Cincinnati game? <laughs> completely hypothetical think- miles. I don't think Ollie holds that much of a grudge. I don't think so. You think so? I don't think that. I don't think that's what got everybody fired anyway. To answer your real <laughs> question, Adam, he loves Ollie. He might love him. I'm saying hypothetically. <laughs> no, I know. I know. There's. I know that spike but... was inexcusable last year. It was not called from the sideline. I'll just say that. Okay. I mean, I I agree with you, and I don't <laughs> think that you're wrong. Um, but I also I. I think that there are ways to get over that. Um, Miles, so we, we <laughs> talked a little about how to get or if Lamar is possible, Lamar Jackson. Obviously, a lot of speculation about Tom Brady. I was given a name last week. Steve and I didn't get a chance to talk about it last week when I was on the show. We glossed over it and completely forgot. Um, if you remember back when this young man was about to be in the draft, Josh McDaniels was pushing to move up in the draft to grab one Baker Mayfield is he a pot it could that be a possibility considering the Rams will have Matthew Stafford back that they go after Baker Mayfield I don't think Baker Mayfield should be a starting quarterback next year in 2023 I mean it, it does Jarrett Stidham and Baker Mayfield competing in May in June in July or not really July but in then in August like you know does that excite you as a fan or as a media person, it doesn't excite me. I mean, I don't look Baker Mayfield. I don't think is a terrible quarterback, but I don't think that he is one of the 32 best um, quarterbacks for next season. I, I just don't. I mean, I, I understand that, you know, he was number one overall pick. He took the Browns to the playoffs and all that, but I just, it, it, I think that his best bet for the rest of his career is to stay in Los Angeles with the Rams Stafford, and then potentially one day be Geno Smith and be a starter again. Uh, the league decided to go against their written rules and kind of change around the playoff format in the AFC because of the canceled game. Uh, Bills Bengals neutral site this week. That's pretty cool. Uh, it should be. Yeah, that's the way it should be, though. You know what, Adam? I, yeah, I, I'm glad you brought this up because this is something that really annoys me. Why did the Cincinnati Bengals get jobbed out of every single thing when they made those new rules? Right, the, everything was to help the Bills. I basically, assumed that well, the Bills would have won that game, so blah blah blah. I don't understand why we're assuming that. Cincinnati Bengals have been playing the best football in the AFC basically since they lost to the Cleveland Browns on Halloween. I still think that the Cincinnati Bengals are going to come out of the AFC. I think that they're going to go to Buffalo, and I think they might beat the brakes off of them this weekend. I would not be surprised if that happened. Wow. Uh, if if how Michael on the call uh would he would he give us a excited one what was going on at the end of that game and i think the common perception there is that al michaels was subdued because he bet the chargers and didn't want to see the jaguars win that game i don't think it's that i think al michaels is seven, you know <laughs> i mean that's kind of what it is and tony dungeon has never been that excitable uh, oh wait so, the game was on peacock wasn't it the game was on NBC. oh sorry my bad my bad <laughs> was sorry about that you you did but you know i mean listen i i i uh yeah that's all i'll say i have by the way i have no problem with al michaels bet the game and was disappointed i like that so you don't have to say it i will i hope that's what it was i don't think that that's what it was al michaels is a but i don't know that that means he'd root the chargers miles we appreciate it thank you buddy (laughs) all right guys take care hey it's miles sam pro football talk Adam, did you watch? Willie, did you watch? Yeah. But look, they barely mentioned the fact that it almost missed. You know how close it was to missing? What do you mean? The kick barely oh, yeah. got oh, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. in the upright. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. It was close. You're right. Yeah, but did you, you would have never known. Did you think the broadcast lacked zip? 
Yes, of course it did. did. Al Michaels bet the Chargers. Like, stop. We don't have to tiptoe around it. Al Michaels bet the Chargers. He wasn't happy. And that's fine. I like that. That's what all the people watching did. Like, everybody has bets on the game. Why not be upset about it? Did he admit to that? No. I'm, I'm not saying. willing to go there. I I'm am. not willing to go there. I am. I don't. I don't think I'm willing to say he's 78 either. That that's the excuse. He is though. I know. I don't know, man. As I watched tired. it, because I think I was, game. I think I was wrapped into the storyline, and I was watching with the uh, the SO, who's a Chargers fan, and I think the storyline for me was enough, and her grumbling was enough that I really didn't even notice. I actually, I thought Dungey was pretty good. I thought, yeah, you know, I, I thought he was critical at least. Kicks up, it's good. <laughs> That's not, I don't think that was a final call. Kicks up. Uh, Tam Penny out of it's coming up in about 15 minutes. Our gambling insider. Nothing can take my feet out from under me. There's nothing that can come against me where I'm not going to win in the end. There's nothing that can come against my household where the Spirit of God breaks it free and says, we don't need to worry about that. Y'all you, you know how many text messages I've gotten saying, are you okay? Stop asking if I'm okay. You don't really know me if you're asking if I'm okay. It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Willie, do you want to leave? Because I know you were grossed out if there was any coverage of this Derek Carr church engagement. Not coverage because it was live stream. So basically all the off the live stream, what I what I had said Friday, once again, you taking my words out of context. Well, was that, that wasn't live. That was not live stream. That was the review journal video. <laughs> right. But where did they get it? From we the had, stream. No, we had a videographer there. Yeah, they rolled on it. No, that's not what I was told last night. Yeah, Heidi by was one there. of your call. Yeah, Heidi was there, but the, also there were no cameras allowed in the church. She has to film it off the stream. Mm-hmm. Okay, who's there with the yes, camera? No, I get it. But sounds no, like Willie's right. They were church, but they could not film. There are no cameras allowed inside. They she she screen recorded it, and yes, what I was saying was that if a bunch of slew of reporters were to show up and treat it like a press conference and try to go and treat and 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 get in a media scrum. Come on, and, and and you know they send the they send a press the church sends a press release out that he's going to appear, and then media putting it out that this is what's going to happen, but yet he's not going to have an availability. So so what's the point of doing it? Oh well, so we can draw bigger crowds, get Raider fans to come in from out of town. Who was quoted? Why? So we can have a lot of tithing. Let's get a lot of money <laughs> raised for the church. Good job, Derek. You did your job. You raised money Adam, for the church. Adam, that audio was from Saturday night or one of the Sunday sermons? Uh, Saturday. That was Saturday? Yeah. How many people were covering Derek Carr at a church, and how many people from the RJ were covering the Lady Rebels? Um, I believe two and one. Okay. All right. You did see there were some complaints about lack of coverage of the Lady Rebels? Sure. How do you guys determine coverage? By how many people read a story? Yeah. Is that is that enough of an answer? By the when way, people get after you guys. No, yeah. It's if if you as a viewer or a reader. By the way, it works here too. If you if if everybody is turning off the radio when we talk about a certain thing, we're not talking about it anymore. Right. Um, it works. It's everywhere on TV. Same thing. Uh, yep. And it sucks that that how it is, but that's how it is. And if by the way. Massive stories coming up on the Lady Rebels this week in the review yeah. journal. Well uh, deserved, of course, absolutely. But like you know, the Lady Rebels are better than the Raiders. Should we cover the Lady Rebels more than the Raiders? I think the logic from some people is yes. Give me a little more car from the sermon. Nine years, one place, hard. I always make this joke. I said, franchises are heavy. <laughs> franchises are heavy to carry. They're heavy. But aren't we thankful that whatever it is that God has asked you to do, that he can be the one to say, why don't you just put it in my hands? Why don't you just give it back to me? I have walked through the hardest times of my life, not knowing if my son was going to make it, not knowing if my grandpa was going to make it, not knowing... What, what's next? Not knowing my next step, not knowing these things. And I've walked through these times 
with an absolute peace and a grace that has covered me. All right, that was a clip. <laughs> Willie, what do you think? Hold on a second. I'm catching the spirit. The, mu- the, the go- music catching is... Catching the ghost. There's a live band behind him, by the way. You know, here's the thing. I shouldn't mock because I have one of my best friends, who you guys both know, is an ordained minister, and you get caught up in... It's just that this is a totally different side where I think that he was able to exploit and send a message as to, here's who I really am, but yet there are a certain number of us who know it's not. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. Sammy P. Rolling on on a Tuesday, let's get to our weekly gambling spot with Sam Paniatovich from Nesson from Fox Sports 1. Pretty interesting weekend we just got through. Did you uh, do okay in Super Wild Card Weekend? I got smoked. <laughs> what did you have the toughest time with? Uh, Brady getting murdered, I think, was was tough for me. And not to say that I you know, bailed out and, and did something I shouldn't have done. I mean, those days are long behind me. But for you know the better part of two decades... You could always put your faith in Tom Brady delivering in big games. And, you know, that's the old adage, I guess. Father Time is undefeated. Brady did not look crisp, did not look bouncy. You know, the offensive line, I thought, played okay. But Brady just – I don't know that he looked non-passionate, but it just – it wasn't there. It wasn't him. And and that's the realization now. At 45 years old, almost 46, maybe he just doesn't have it anymore. But the problem is, Steve, I've been burned by the guy so many times in the past. Like, I was in a – I was in a pretzel. I, I was so sure right. that the Bucks were going to win that game. And I saw that you had retweeted Julian Edelman. Was that a four? Was that a four game or five game parlay that he had? And he let it all ride. It was like thirty one thousand on the line. He let it. All... Yeah, he had a four leg parlay. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't exactly the the sharpest parlay in the world, right, but right, hey, you right. give a guy credit for for going in and plunking down twenty five hundred bucks. He had the Bills money line, the Giants plus three, Cincinnati money line. And Tampa was the final leg, plus two and a half. He bet twenty five hundred to win thirty one thousand. And of course, a guy like Julian Edelman, who's made millions of dollars in his career, is not going to hedge that. I think you know the average better and, and people that are listening to this program would have bet two fifty to win a lot less. I mean, you're still talking about you know two fifty at twelve to one. I'm gonna do the quick math here. That's about what you know three thousand. I, I would imagine. You're going to go find a dime and, and maybe put a dime on the Cowboys to win the game outright. But but hedging is a complex conversation. I mean, it's not for everybody. Some people like to let it ride. Others like to maximize the profit. Others like to just guarantee themselves something. But, yeah, Edelman let it ride, and and his old compadre, Tom Brady, let him down. Sam Peniotovich is with us here on this Tuesday. So uh, Julian Edelman, like lots of poor schnooks out there, uh, loses – you know, we talk a lot, Sam, about the role of the media, the growing group of social media betting experts. I'll put that in air quotes. I'll also roll in. Well, you know, what? I'm not going to roll in the second part. What What is our responsibility when we go to social media and we talk about games? Because I saw a ton of, hey, Brett Maher must be in on something with Vegas missing all these extra points. I just think it's it's irresponsible or am I just taking it too seriously? And the audience has to filter through who legit people are and who clowns are. Yeah, you really have to handicap the handicappers, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I never thought for one second that, that Brett Maher was on the take last night, and it, it didn't matter. They they won the game by 17 as a, as a two-and-a-half-point chalk. Some books had three on the close, I guess. But, no, I I never thought that, that there was anything shady going on. I mean, I, I know some guys that kicked in college that said sometimes when you miss a couple kicks – Mm-hmm. The goalposts look this look like they're you know a paperclip and not you know as wide as they really are. But yeah, I mean for him to come out there and and go one for five um, from thirty three yards, it's it's certainly concerning going forward for I think Cowboy fans because now their kicker is sort of in his own head. But I mean, how can you really think that a guy making the is going to go out there and shank extra points on purpose? I mean, he's. He's making almost a million dollars a year. He signed a one-year contract for $965,000. <laughs> How much can he be paid right. to miss extra points? I mean, we're talking about Google with the game on the line. He's he's missing a kick that's worth a penny. I don't think he's getting thousands and thousands of dollars to miss kicks that are worth a point. That's, that's ridiculous. 
a bunch of teams just dropped out, so we're now we're going to have some questions in the offseason. It's another great uh, hot stove league, if we want to call it that, for the NFL. So there are boards up for you know future positions, future landing spots, for especially some of the big names out there. I'll go back to Brady again. Do you want – I know we're going to hit this like every week until he makes a decision, but do you see – a couple of boards posted on Twitter. Do you see any numbers out there that are intriguing for Tom Brady's landing spot? Buccaneers are favored two to one, and then you have the Raiders five to two, Niners seven to two. I don't know that you go lower than that. I mean, look, there are a lot of things to like about living in a much warmer climate. Um, obviously, Tampa is a is a warm climate, but Vegas is is in that conversation, and same with San Francisco. But those teams are also essentially a quarterback away from from being a. They have a pretty decent offensive line, and it's a reunion potential. Um, I think a lot of things make sense there. And then he's from San Francisco. Now, I don't, you know, I, I think the Niners, given all that's going on with that organization, they just traded a bunch of number one overall draft picks or first round picks, excuse me, uh, to get Trey Lance. And now they have a, a quarterback in Brock Purdy. So I don't think they able uh, to get Tom Brady. I, I think it, the narrative sort of. It's to me, it's either Tampa or Vegas or retirement. I, I don't see a, a trip back to New England. I don't know about Miami. I mean, Miami certainly has weapons with Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill and Gasecki and, and all those uh, skill guys. But it feels like it's Tampa, Vegas, or, or hang them up. And, and that's a question that Tom has to have with himself. Do I want to play or do I not? There are five teams inside of nine to one uh, Jets, Titans. Commanders, Colts, Saints. I suppose it could be outside that list. Yeah, I mean, you never know with a guy like Carr because the the range is a lot bigger. I mean, you know, think about a team like Baltimore. You know, are they really going to bring Lamar Jackson back? I don't know. I, I have my doubts. So, yeah. all right, Baltimore needs a quarterback. Would you rather have Tyler Huntley or Derek Carr? I think it's an obvious answer. Baltimore's thirty to one to get Derek Carr. I mean, that's that's a bet. You know, to bet a hundred bucks to win three grand, I'm intrigued. I'm enticed. Um, you know, the Commanders. I think they need a quarterback. Nine to one. I mean, you're looking at teams, but more importantly, Steve, you're looking at prices. I mean, in markets like this, I can't stand here and go, I know where Derek Carr is going because <laughs> I have no idea. Right. I would rather bet a little to win a lot, though. And then here's quickly back to Brady for a second. The conversation you have to think about. Rather than bet Tom Brady to go to Vegas at plus 250 or to go to San Francisco at plus 350, you're much more inclined to think this way. Bet those teams to win the Super Bowl, all right? I mean, before Brady went to Tampa, I think Tom was 15-1 to to go to Tampa. But Tampa was 60-1 to to win the Super Mm, Bowl. Well, Tom goes to Tampa, and then all of a sudden Tampa goes from 60-1 to 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 10-1. So I, I, there are different ways to make the same assumption. You can bet the team to win the Super Bowl instead of betting Tom to go to a team. That's a good point. Sam Payne out of it is with us, uh, finding extra value on the board for us here on Cofield and Company. All right, let's bang out these four games. Uh, Chiefs and Jaguars, it's eight, it's 53. I think the Jaguars are going to come in flat. I think they won their Super Bowl. I think the Chiefs roll. I don't hate that handicap for one second. I was actually looking first quarter, first half. I'm kind of want to get ahead of it. Uh, you can lay three at the Westgate minus 15. Uh, other books have three and a half. I think you could lay that in the first quarter and also look at Kansas City maybe first half. Uh, minus five at Westgate, minus five at Circa, minus five at South Point. I think the Chiefs are up seven or ten at the half. I don't really want to get involved with the spread though because that back door is is always something to think about. I think if you're looking to bet Jacksonville in the game, wait it out, let them go down big early and then grab a bigger number live. Like you could probably get, you know, if all things go to plan, you can get Jacksonville plus 11 and a half plus 13 live rather than take eight, eight and a half pre-flop. This is a bad number, isn't it, for the Eagles? Seven and a half against the Giants? If they run Daniel Jones the way that they did last week, I think they have a chance to hang around. But, Ooh. I mean, the talent level is just – it's not really fair. I have Philadelphia – let's see. I've got Philadelphia 105, and I've got the Giants 96. So that's neutral field power ratings. I've got Philly nine points better. And you bake in home field, we're, we're over 10. Now, odds makers would never make it 10 because they'd write nothing but Giants bets. I think the Giants, again, remember, Steve, they were a public underdog last week. They still delivered against Minnesota because the the Vikings defense is just atrocious, and it has been since Thanksgiving. But this feels like, you know, the carriage turning into a pumpkin here. I'm seeing, 
70% of the tickets already on New York. And the number, ironically enough, it opened seven and a half, not seven. So that's built in respect for the favorite, too. Bills five against the Bengals. Six at South Point right now. So that's that's a lot of support for Buffalo. You know, this was four pretty much all afternoon on Monday. And then the report came out about left tackle Jonah Williams for Cincy. Joe Burrow potentially, maybe likely, down three starting offensive linemen. That's a big deal um, because pass rushing is a lot easier against revolving door guys that probably should be on the practice squad. Um, but I, I still think Burrow is is too good to be catching this many points. Uh, if I can get like South points at six right now, I would take six with Cincinnati, even with all the concerns about the offensive line. Still a, a sensational, you know, transcendent quarterback, once in a lifetime guy with a with a boatload of talent and skill and speed at receiver. I, I still would take the points with Cincy. I think there's a lot of reasons to fade the Cowboys plus three and a half against San Fran. You? Yeah, I mean, Dak played a career game in the postseason. Um, what, four passing touchdowns and a uh, – did he have a rushing touchdown? It felt like he was in the end zone basically yeah. all day long. No, he did – oh, he did have a – okay, so four passing touchdowns and one rushing touchdown. I think the bet is the bet against that happening. <laughs> I kind of want to look at his passing touchdown number. I imagine it's going to be like, you know – one and a half, two and a half, heavy juice to the under on two and a half. Like, I, I don't think he's going to have a lot of success through the air. Um, but the move in this game, I think it's under. We saw this open just under 47, which is a very key number for NFL totals. It's a very, you know, common landing number. We're, we're thinking 41, 44, 47, 49. 47 is a very key number. Um, I, I think under's the move. I mean, Dallas scored a lot against Tampa. San Francisco scored a lot against Seattle, but but scoring on Dallas and San Francisco is not easy. So I think these offenses have a lot more challenges this Sunday. I would go under like 46 and a half, 47. I think that's fair. So let's go back to the beginning of the conversation um, and talk about Tom Brady for a second. Did you watch the game at a bar last night in Newton, Mass.? Yeah, I did, and I was yeah, I was getting lit up on social media. People were calling me uh, a liar and a fraud and you know a clout yep. chaser, and I'm thinking to myself, what what just happened? Like I don't know what's going on. So we're sitting at a small bar. You know, the bar probably <laughs> seats about twelve people. It's it's a, it's a it's a tuna can joint. You know, it's a small place. You know, they show Brady on the TV running out of the tunnel, and the place is getting lightly animated, if you will. Uh, and at the end of that run out, there's a guy in the corner who, you know, says, Brady sucks, you know, and everybody kind of looks over there and he's like, what? He hasn't, you know, he's nothing without Bill. And I just, I tweeted that. I, th- I think it's a, a fascinating, you know, right. situation out here because, you know, they love Tom when he was here and they hate him when he left. And, and yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting roasted by one of the Barstool guys because I, I made the story up and I'm like, I, I don't know why that would be something that I would make up. You know what I mean? I don't get it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I sit at bars all the time and watch games, and there's going to be generally some jabroni who's got terrible football takes. And why is it that hard to believe that one person at a bar said that, uh, you know, it was Belichick over Brady? I mean, I'm sure that's a debate that goes on all the time. I, I just, yeah, I thought it was really interesting that a bunch of New Englanders started raining down and you made, you know, saying you made the story up. I don't even understand why you would make the story up. It doesn't even make sense on that front, but it's not believable that there's some idiot at the bar who says Tom Brady sucks. Yeah, and the irony there is that I'm sitting in this place where this just happened. You know me. I'm a man of the people. I'm out and about. I love to have my pops here and there. And, yeah, I mean, about a story consisting of a drunk guy openly bashing Brady at a bar. It's it's very strange to me, but I guess that's the way it goes sometimes. You find out more and more that uh, New Englanders and uh, New Jersey, New York area people are not as nuanced as they claim to be and are actually very sensitive in in spite of the whole – you know, they're tougher than everyone else. They're actually, they can be real wimps at times when you start talking about their heroes. We appreciate it. Check out Sam's work on uh, Nesson, of course, uh, Fox Sports as well, where he uh, writes and does analysis. Sam, you're the man. I appreciate it. All right, Steve. See you. Live on the road for UNLV versus Utah State, it's Cofield and Company. Fake to three on the right side. He's in a bit of trouble. Hands to Jackson. Seven to go. Stevens step back. Three on its way. Blackjack! 82-81. Rams have the lead. Roll the dice, baby. Isaiah Stevens with 33. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield. 
on ESPN Las Vegas. Willie's here. Adam Hill is here. Cofield on the road. Spectrum. Logan, Utah. <laughs> a house of horrors in recent years for UNLV. And we'll see what they can do in this one. Running a Rebel warm-ups coming up in less than 30 minutes. We're also going to have a uh, elongated conversation with Curtis, who we hear on the pregame show. But uh, that combo is coming up here in just a couple. All right, guys. We get out a little early today because 5.30 is running Rebel warm-up. Are you going to drive around Trop and 15 just one last time for the memories? Either one of you. I, I'm going to try to avoid that area for the next four years. It's what? Drop a canna, Willie. Drop a canna is coming. I, I don't think people are ready for this. I don't, I, I don't think I, anybody knows this is happening. They've had the signs up for at least the last week that the closure is coming up. Willie, are you ready? I feel the worst for Willie because you know, I live kind of further north. Willie lives way up north. I already told you. You're going to be okay, Willie? You got, you got your surface streets picked out? Yeah, I already told you this two weeks ago. Last time we were in the studio together, I said, I already got. I already know my plan. Not that I knew it in 2017, but in 2017, I, I knew the, back, the, the best back road post or pre-VGK and Raiders game to get into where I need to go have to. You, I, have I'm you checked worried. it recently? Because every alternate route I have sought out, to get around Tropicana, they're now doing construction on. Oh yeah, it's, every fine. every way to get to UNLV now, except for Tropicana, but that's where the exit is. But uh, all the back roads, it, it's there's cones and barrels everywhere. Well, that's just. I mean, that's been a way of. Remember, I mean, I've I've been seeing that for decades. So that doesn't. That's that's neither here nor there. It's a matter of where knowing. You know, being able to get off and on. To be honest with you, I don't get off on Tropicana a lot anymore. I use. I've been using the Russell exit. I don't even use the Tropicana to get to Golden Knights game. So I, I agree with you. Here's the problem. Now everyone yep. Yep. is yeah, no, going I, to be using the Russell yeah, no, exit. No, I get it. And I it's not it. and every every other route gets affected. Yeah. The, the good thing for 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 someone like, you know for people like me and Adam. Well, not Adam. I feel bad for Adam because is I'm usually walking into an arena or the stadium. Well, Adam gets pretty early during the NFL season because he's got some responsibilities he's got to do, but. I mean, I'm there three hours before puck drop. I'm there four hours before kickoff. So I'm already used Adam, to doing that. Adam, what was the night? Was it last week you were bragging about going from one venue to the other to the other on a Saturday? Yeah, I went, yeah, from, we I did went it. from uh I went to the UNLV Enjoy game, it. to the UFC fight, to to T Mobile. Yeah, okay. No chance. Yeah. <laughs> he had no chance. By the way, all three of those things like on Tropicana. Can you imagine yep. can you imagine a couple weeks ago the, the Raiders finale? Raiders game, Golden Knights game. Because they flexed it to Saturday. And by the way, this is not going to be done by the Super Bowl, right? I mean, I think their their plan was to cut it real close. I to have 18, it done. It's eighteen months. I thought. I thought. I thought, I thought the goal. The, their 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 project was all about F one. It had nothing to do with the Super Bowl. But I'm saying this is still going to be going on, right? Yeah, the is. Super Bowl is oh, here boy. a year away. Yeah. Yep. yep. Oh boy. Six o'clock tip. UNLV at Utah State. We grabbed Curtis Terry just a little while ago and started off the conversation with the former Rebel. Uh, talking about the one and four mark coming out of the gates for UNLV and what the mood of the team is right now. Yes, Steve. I mean, for, from my perspective, it doesn't seem like they're too affected by it. I think that's a good thing. I mean, obviously, uh, just from from their mindset um, and, and, and how they're going about business, they've seemed to have a couple good days of practice um, since since they last lost. Um, I think the focus is, is just trying to come out and continue to be better, continue to compete at a high level. Um, and so far, we see that we don't seem to see any kind of guys like down in down in the dumps or kind of down on their luck or kind of the woe is me mentality in terms of kind of the slow start to kind of conference play. So hopefully, they can have a have a bounce back game against a, a really good Utah State team against a team especially that plays really good at home. And we do have to put this in perspective. While you don't want to lose games, I mean, look at the games they lost in conference. They lost a couple of overtime games, and this last game, you know. The, the, the shots that Isaiah Stevens made were just insane. But that said, though, in some of the close games, Curtis, the shot selection hasn't been great, and there's been some poor decisions here and there. Yeah, I think, I mean, you obviously got to give Isaiah Stevens credit. I mean, the, the couple shots that he made, some of those three-pointers, um, there's sometimes, I mean, there's not much, much, much more else that you can do in those situations from that standpoint. Um, you, you put yourself in a position to try to win, um, and if a guy comes out and makes some tough shots like he did, I mean, there's, you just got to kind of tip your hat to him, even though you, you're not not happy or, or, or willing to accept the outcome. Um, but from the standpoint from the Rebels, I think 
there's there's been times where sometimes there is some bad shot selection. Um, we we've, we've talked about it, and, and Coach even mentioned it. Kind of sometimes not not playing within within the team sense of, of sharing the ball, kind of drive kick, spreading it out. Um, but he does mention that he likes to give them freedom offensively. I um, mean, we've seen that work really well at times. Other times, it's easy to get bogged down, whether that's because you're just not quick into the front court, out of the back court after a miss or a make, um, or if it's something specific that the defense is doing to you. Um, but I think it's a situation where the Rebels got to continue to rely on themselves and try to get back kind of that open court, that fast-paced game that they've been playing. But a lot of that was obviously led by the things that was happening defensively that they were doing to frustrate the opponent, to give them those opportunities to get out in transition, to get out in the open court, and try to have some success from that standpoint. Should they have fouled Stevens in regulation on his first one at 5.3 left when he made it, or the one that was basically the overhead soccer throw-in? Should they have fouled him on either one of those and just forced him to the line? Ah, so now we're going to play, we're going to play Tuesday morning quarterback or Monday morning quarterback. Um, it's tough. It's and I've always said this. So like when I played for Coach Longstreet, it was a situation where we we practiced those those late game situations um, almost every day. It seemed like um, in the off season, the preseason, during the regular season. Um, but again, I think that's just each coach's own philosophy in, in, in how they approach the game. Um, and sometimes it's based on the personnel that you have out there. Sometimes it's based on the, the time and the situation and the scenario. Um, I think especially the one that he hit from maybe he pulls it back from behind his head from half court, that situation where he catches the ball with his back to the basket, so you do what you want. He's not able just to catch and turn and shoot. Um, he's going away from the basket to catch it with his momentum, and then he takes a dribble and, and he makes that, that double clutch behind the head shot over two guys. So, I mean, you could risk trying to foul there, but then again, do you, do you put it in a situation where you foul him and he's in the, in the act of shooting um, and then put that, that call in, in the ref's hands to, to kind of what they see or, or kind of how they, they read that situation? Um, so it's, it's easy to say yes or no now, um, but I think the way they played out, and I don't think anybody expected him to make that double-clutch shot. I know I didn't, but, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, again, it's something that you kind of live with and it, and it ended up happening. Curtis Terry, former Rebel, of course, part of the broadcast team, along with John Sandler. You're going to hear him on the uh, official pregame show, running Rebel warm-up right after Cofield and company. All right, let's talk about uh, some of the players and how they're playing right now. Uh, E.J. Harkless has just been a monster offensively, uh, as we you know discussed and debated in the preseason. I'm going to pat myself on the back. I thought this was the <laughs> alpha guy on the team. I think they have other alpha guys. Um, and, you know, one, I, I think he's got to change his mindset back to where he was the first eight or nine games, I really think Keyshawn Gilbert can beat most people in the league off the dribble, get to his spots. Now, he's got to do it in a wise fashion, but he seems to have lost a little bit of confidence offensively. Yeah, I think, I mean, you were right. I think it was, it was you and you and I and Adam Hill that were on that on a couple months back, and, and, and who, who's kind of, who's that go-to guy, who's the main guy, the, the dog, the alpha. Um, I think as of late, it's obviously been, it's, it's been EJ Harkless, uh, but I think at times throughout the season, it's been Keyshawn Gilbert, it's been Luis Rodriguez. Um, and I think it's trying to find that happy balance, a happy medium of, of who's going to be able to bring what you need based on how you're being guarded by the opponent. I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, obviously, Keyshawn Gilbert had some, some, a lot of success, especially in the month of December, um, especially again in the game against Washington State even. Um, he puts up 25 points and it seems like he couldn't be stopped in the open court or in half court. Um, but again, a lot of it has to do with, again, his role has increased from last year to this year. So in terms of being able to play those heavy minutes and being asked to do what he's has to do every night out on both ends of the floor. It can kind of wear on you, being in a position to where you're playing a different role, um, and you've got other guys on the team. So we saw against San Diego State, Luis was was the man. He hit almost every shot, played great defense on the other end. Um, but sometimes that that kind of ebbs and flows, and I think we've seen that with this team. So if you can try to find some more consistency through all three of those guys in terms of from an offensive standpoint, I think they're going to be in a better spot. Again, I think the one thing is defensively, if they can kind of find that inner animal just to kind of tighten it up a little bit and to give themselves more opportunities um, in the transition in open court to make it so much easier not have to go to half-court offense every time, I think they're going to do better. Um, but again, from our standpoint, easier said than done. But I think the way that they've been progressing um, is just kind of natural, especially once you can kind of get in the dog days of the season right now. You're kind of worn down a little bit, a little bit tired. And especially these guys are going to be playing two games a week um, I mean, from – but last week all the way through the end of the season, basically. So it's, it's just trying to find that adjustment period for them. Yeah, and for this one on a Tuesday, they had one less day of rest as they're uh, taking on UNLV is Utah State. Um, great point on, you know, the effect of Elijah Parquet and uh, everyone else has had to kind of step up to a different level, a different role, and Gilbert is having to cover the best guard on the other team an awful lot, you know, before switches happen. So maybe it's taken away from his offense a little bit. Back, back to EJ. My fear with EJ is that he's making so many shots off a of one-on-one and a lot of 
times where he stops his dribble and then he's pivoting and pumping and faking and fading away that there's going to be a game where maybe those shots don't go in. So I think he's in a position where he's probably going to start getting more attention and kickouts will be there. 100%. No, I, th- I mean, obviously with EP, I think his standpoint, he's definitely a, part of a piece of the puzzle that the Rebels are missing from that defensive, just that defensive competitiveness and just him kind of quarterbacking the defense. And we've talked about this and John and I have talked about it. Um, and I think that's they've they've gotten better from that standpoint without him since he's been out until leading up to when he's going to be back. Um, and again, it hasn't happened overnight as you want, but I think they're going to be better in the long term when he does return because guys have had to pick up that slack defensively without him there. Um, now, as for EJ in the offensive end, and I've said this from the start of the season, I didn't realize how good he was off the dribble and how much shape he had in his game in terms of being able to create for himself. Um, I think it's a, it's a pleasant surprise to see him be able to do that. Um, but at times, I think he does have to work very hard to be able to do that, to get those shots, whether it's shot fakes, reverse pivots, fadeaways, step-throughs, up-and-unders. Um, the fact is that he can do that. That's great. So if they need it, that's awesome. But in the times where he has to work so hard, and now that he's getting more attention from the scout, from the opposing opponent, um, and he's just at the top of the scouting report, it's going to be a situation where guys are going to have to step up and knock down shots. And we've seen Jordan McCabe been able to do that the last few games, um, especially at New Mexico. He made a bunch of big shots for him. But that's going to have to continue for this team to be able to kind of spread it around so that way they're not easily focused on one guy being able to lead the show. Because I think the success they had, especially early, is when multiple guys were able to make shots and spread it around so they weren't, that as, weren't as easy to guard from that perspective. Yeah, I think Justin Webster has been gigantic uh, in recent times. First of all, his defense is you know, pretty good. And then he's being scouted as a guy who's a knockdown three-point shooter, and he's been really good with the catch and shoot. I think the next thing he needs to add to his game, and he did it at least once or twice in this last game against CSU, is keep the the defense honest. If they're going to close out that quickly on him at the three-point line, go to the hole. Yeah, and we've seen that. He's done it a couple times. Um, I think that's where he hits the teams off guard because, especially late, he's been catching and shooting and with a quick release and knocking down threes at a high rate, um, especially he started the season like that, especially once you go down to the game at San Diego. But I think that's where he opens things up is when he does shot fake, he can get to the basket, he's finishing. He's also finished through some contact, got some and ones. Uh, but then he's also not scared to be able to drive and kick those out and spray the shooters. And so, again, the, 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 the different dynamic that he adds to the team I think is huge for them. Um, but, again, I think a lot of that is, is kind of taken away to a degree because now his role is different than when EP was in there starting and he comes in kind of more instant offense. So, again, I think they're trying to ebb and flow and they're still trying to find themselves. I think it's just that consistency to make sure they can continuously do it for the full 40 minutes of a game. And they got a tough defensive assignment tonight against Utah State. Curtis Terry's with us. We're getting ready for UNLV at Utah State. Rebels really in need of a win after getting out to a really slow start here in the Mountain West Conference. Uh, first of all, let's talk about the bigs on Utah State. Um, they've got a rim rocker in Dan Akin, who's a transfer in from uh, Maryland Eastern Shore and Cal Baptist, and you know, he's a, a leaper at 6'9". They've got Dorius, who's a 7-footer, who's dangerous. And then the other guy who's in is uh, Funk, who's a transfer in from St. Joe's, and he's a, he's got the stretch elements. He really likes to shoot the three from the 4-5 or five position. So they got all different looks with these big guys. Yeah, and I think that's something that we've kind of seen on the season for the Rebels that's, that's, that's kind of given them some trouble is when they have that, that stretch guy that can, that can stretch the floor um, and, and kind of, to a degree, take that advantage away from UNLV being able to switch. Because if you've got that big guy that pulls your big away from the basket, and so in terms of rim protection, um, in terms of defensive rebounding, and that's the times that we've seen that UNLV struggles is when guys are able to get straight to the basket with no rim protection, and then again, offensive rebounding, an area that they've struggled in um, at times during the course of the season. Um, and so I think that's going to be a focus for the Rebels. Um, obviously, the, their guard play is, is, is strong. Um, and they're just a very all-around well-coached team. And so, and, and when they play at home, um, it's a tough arena to play in. Um, we know that they get a lot of support from the community here in Logan, Utah. And so the Rebels are going to have their hands full, but I think it's a game that they're very capable of coming out to be able to win. Um, but they've got, again, you've got, got to be able to win in the key areas, which is defense, which is rebounding. Um, and really just kind of being able to make shots and control the tempo. If they can do those things, they should be in a, in a position to, to get a, a really tough road win. And then we should mention Stephen Ashworth, who, you know, the first couple of years we watched him, like, yeah, he's, you know, he's a solid backup. He was uh, behind my guy, Riley Wooster, who's actually done really well in the Pac-12 with Utah. And I thought he was a career backup because a lot of times he'd come in, he's going too fast, a little too small, a little out of control, lets his emotions get out of control. But, man, he has jumped up big time this year. And now you're talking about a knockdown three-point shooter at 53%. Yeah, I didn't want to have to talk about little Steven Ashworth, but we're going to have to give him his credit. Um, as a kid, you got to give him his flowers. I mean, he's shooting 50, 51% from three. He's averaging 15. And like you talked about a couple of seasons ago, you didn't think that he was going to be able to come out and kind of have this career, this impact. Um, but he's definitely putting the work, and he's leading this team, and, and he's kind of their heart and soul. Um, and then you, you add in, obviously, Max Sogo, who's a bigger guard, 
um, that, that's, been a, that's been able to give other teams trouble because of his size and his ability to handle the ball. And so, again, I think they've, they've just put together a really well-rounded team, um, and I think it's, it's probably wasn't ex- as expected by many people when you lose your coach um, and, and when you kind of lose your, your, your player of the year candidate in terms of what they've had. Um, and so it's, it's, it's interesting to see that they still continue to have success, um, but not only is it good for them, it's good for the Mountain West Conference as a whole, and so the Rebels are going to have to be able to come out here and, and, and be in another dogfight. But, but I think that's what you're going to see every night out through the rest of the conference season for, for not just UNLV, for, but for all the teams. And, folks, let me tell you, this building is a house of horrors for UNLV. I don't know what happens, because like, I don't think all the UNLV teams over the years have been bad defensively. But TSGM against the Rebels is unreal, shooting the ball. And then, as Curtis said, the crowd gets into it. It's a really rowdy crowd. And I just feel like this is, this is one of the basically, – basically, it's like a mini pit. Um, the fans are – but it's one of those places of all the roads that the Rebels go to when rolling the wrong way, it's hard to stop it. Yeah, if, if if you allow this, this is kind of like I mean, as, as the weather is out here and and when they got the snow flurries, but when the, when the snowball starts to roll down the hill, I mean, that thing can pick up speed and become some huge very quickly. Um, and it's, it's definitely it's, it's tough to stop these guys when they get on a roll, when they make some threes, when they get the crowd involved. Um, it becomes a very hard place to play and to be able to win. Uh, but to try to, to nip that in the bud early, that's what the Rebels are going to have to do. But they can do that from a defensive standpoint. And we've seen that team, is they usually get themselves going defensively, so hopefully they can get some big stops, get some runouts, and really gain confidence. I think that would definitely bog down the Utah State Aggies. Curtis, awesome spot. We'll hear from you in uh, just a couple minutes. Thank you. Sounds good, Steve. Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. Webster's going to drive. Webster in the lane. Webster double clutch. Is good and a foul. So the Rebels finally get a call. And a tough play by Justin Webster to tie the game at 62. Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. This is Cofield and Company. Cofield getting ready for the broadcast coming up in just a little bit right here on the station. Six o'clock tip. UNLV at Utah State as they continue their Mountain West schedule. It's been a brutal start to the season. Not not only in the in terms of the results, but Man, the schedule is just not favorable for UNLV early on. It will lighten up a little bit, but it is a really, really difficult conference, and uh, that continues with a very, very tough Utah State team. Uh, get you ready for running Rebel warm-up with John Sandler courtside just a couple of minutes. Adam Hill, Willie Ramirez closing it out, and Willie looks just very refreshed and relaxed. He looks like you're living your best life over there. Yeah, well, you know, I, I try to – Randomly pamper myself, take care of myself, <laughs> go to the right places. Randomly, you pamper yourself more than anyone ever that you that you've ever known. Yeah, I left the game early last night. I, I went. I talked to Pete DeBoer. Sure. Watched before it, the game. Saw it. Saw it get out of hand. And you know, I said, you know, I, I'm going to go. And I had to drop by the Meadows. I had an outfit that was being altered. Picked up. Picked up some duds. Over the weekend at, at one of my spots, at one of the outfits I had to get altered. But uh, I'm walking out, and I poke in my head. I poke my head into Blended Craft Barber, and I was like, "Hey, uh, y'all just take walk-ins, y'all this." I was just feeling them out. Like, yeah, no, we're good. We'll take care of you. I said, "I'll be back Sunday," but I didn't get to get my outfit Sunday, so I went last night. And I ended up going over there. I spent like. Some extended time. I, I laid back. I got the hot towel, got the shave, got the goat cleaned up. I'm going back to get it cleaned up for the uh, company party coming up. And uh, man, some some OGs in there from Vegas. It's 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 a great spot. They got the they got the TVs. They got the sports chat. It's like it's you know the only thing missing was like Ice Cube and uh, said the entertainer. It was barbershop all over. You. It was beautiful. So wait, you went yesterday, and you're going back before. Well, yeah, because Friday? it'll grow out a little bit. So I'll, I'll 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 get you know I'll color it up a little bit, and then get the stragglies cleaned up, and head to head to head to the event, blended crap barber at the Meadows. That is a. Uh... And and you know what I like about it? It's just what I appreciate. Just like my son with the gym, it's it's homegrown, uh, bare knuckle built by locals. Got kid went to El Dorado. Kid, he's a grown man. Uh, he went to El Dorado. 
And he's built it up, and they got a couple around town. Blended craft, check him out if you're looking for a good barbershop. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, Rebels coming up tonight, as we said. A lot of Raiders news coming up on the horizon. We don't know what is going to happen uh, with Derek Carr, with Tom Brady. With oh, We do know Derek Carr is not going to be here. That that marriage is over. That is, that is official. Yep. Uh, a lot of decisions to be made. And and I think a lot of people are very, you know, itchy and jumping at what's the next. I haven't heard anything yet. Take it easy. Take Do you easy. think, you know, we, we talked earlier about Tom Brady coming here and if he had a championship left in him, if he could win one here. You talked about not necessarily going out on top, but going out how he feels competitive. Um, do you think that Derek Carr's next stop, if it's, if it's, it's got to be the, obviously the right one, but does he have a championship run no. in him? No. Okay, that was, that was quick. Um, I mean, obviously it would it would take. Okay, if if you put him on the Forty ers yeah, yeah, I think so. A lot of talk today on on our flagship uh, with the National Boys to bring, uh, unless they win the Super Bowl, but to to send Brady up there and to mentor. Well, for uh, sure, but I mean, how, how many quarterbacks are they going to have? If they if they they could have Purdy. They could have Lance. You get rid of Lance, they were saying. Get rid of <laughs> Lance, men- mentor Purdy. I mean, I think it's 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 the right place for Brady to go. Yeah. Uh, but if it's if it truly is something where he's seeking to establish residency before he gets the, you know, multi million multi hundred million dollar TV deal, mm-hmm. which is what part of what we think is coming to Vegas, establishing res- residency in California is not as favorable in no. terms of financial situations. Absolutely not. So that's part of why everybody thinks. And and the fact that he's very, very close with Josh McDaniels, which I, people keep kind of overlooking in this whole thing. Right. Like, that's a big reason, not just the offensive system. For both guys, yeah. Yeah. And then last night I heard, could he go back to the Patriots? Like, I don't think that's I happening. I don't think that's happening. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's Niners or Raiders, mm-hmm. maybe Titans, but I don't see that one either because I don't mm. think there's an, an, a favorable situation I think it's if Brady wants to play, it's essentially, is he going to San Francisco or Vegas? The, the, the thing is the that, the, as you said, as far as the financial situation and the taxes are concerned, the 49ers, you know, he's only going to have one or two years. But that big TV deal, he could keep whatever home he's got in Florida. And so when he takes that TV deal and he just flies in and out for his appearances, and then that money is, he's not he's not getting clipped as much. Yeah, we'll see. It, it's going to be well. That that, but he also wants to play again for a year. So that's the no. That's what I'm saying. So you we'll go see. to San Francisco and get the money there, but whatever. A lot of moving pieces, but it's not going to be decided for a while. I mean, the, the deadline for the Derek Carr deal is sneaking up, but uh, that's less than a month away. But after that, we've got a month until the league year starts. That'll do it for us. As we said, Adam Hill, Willie Ramirez here closing it out. Cofield on the broadcast tonight with John Sandler down courtside up in Utah, Utah State UNLV coming up tip in a half hour running rebel warm up coming up in just a minute. Stay tuned. Get ready. Get set for the game coming up tonight. A big one for the rebel.